0: One fifth of the global BTC hash rate is now controlled by listed companies. A recent report published by Arcane Research shows that over 19% of the total Bitcoin hash rate now belongs to publicly listed mining companies. And this is a major jump since January, 2021, when it was sitting at a meager 3%. And even going back to April, 2021, it was sitting just under four. So, you know, seeing where we're at now in under a year is pretty incredible. Um, For those who may not know, hash rate refers to the total computing power used by a miner's computing equipment to confirm a transaction on the blockchain, and the higher hash rate ensures increased protection against double spending attacks, and double spending attacks or sandwich attacks reverse Bitcoin transactions over the blockchain by contributing to at least 51% of the hash rate. So the total number of publicly traded Bitcoin mining companies is now up to 26 uh, the report also suggests that the growth in the number of publicly traded mining companies has been driven by public companies having greater access to capital, which obviously in turn leads them to expanding their mining fleets more efficiently and you know, faster than private competitors. Um, according to some data by Cambridge Bitcoin Electricity Consumption Index, just short of 45% of the global hash rate is coming from North American miners at the moment. This number is kind of expected to increase over time as the companies work to increase their total hash rate, which kind of leads to the possibility it was, you know, said in this article that Bitcoin could possibly become more centralized. Um, Some popular North American mining companies include Canon Inc., Riot Blockchain, Marathon Digital Holdings, and Hive Blockchain Technologies, just to name a few. Um, the rate of Bitcoin mining reached an all-time high back on February eighteenth, of just over two hundred and forty exahashes per second, with it currently sitting around two hundred and thirteen. Um, Dylan, what are your what are your initial thoughts before I I get into my my thoughts?
1: Yeah, the main takeaway was just the sheer number of hash rate, the size of the hash rate controlled by the public companies themselves. So this, to me, is The more important takeaway is, excuse me, like the centralization of people and power coming around to control as much of the supply and infrastructure as possible. So this was really surprising to me to see this news come out that so much of the hash rate, I mean, a a fifth is a lot. It is. This fractional amount, but it's it's a ton of, of the power and infrastructure for a network that's supposed to be a little bit decentralized. And I think it would be really interesting to look into, to analyze the validator networks and look at the list of active validators and look at where those countries are based or where they're based in, in geographics. So Figuring out where each of the 100 validators on a given network, where those servers are, and then drawing up some analysis like this to show what's the pie chart look like for the Cosmos validators? What's the pie chart look like for the secret network validators, Juno, all of these different networks? It would be really, really cool to see, and it wouldn't be that hard to do because I think you could just ping the IP addresses of the, the different Validators, so I would love to see a comparison, is what I'm saying, between Bitcoin's hash rate, geographic jurisdictions, and a bunch of other networks. Um, when I think about the public company aspect here, I want to remind the audience that there have been public companies who have raised money, gone public, on the premise that they were going to deploy miners and machines. And those have not always turned out to be successful. There was a company in 2018 that was a Toronto stock exchange stock called Crypto Global. The ticker was CPTO. And I bought a couple shares. Um, Howard Lindzen was an advisor of theirs. They had talked about getting 8,600 machines running by like the end of Q1 or Q2 of that year. And I got in around I don't know January, and it it wasn't a money maker. You know, I didn't I didn't have a ton of money in it, but the point is they were unable to survive the bear market of twenty eighteen. I don't know if they're still around, but I remember the stock just tanked, and it was like a, a an over the counter stock. So, but when we see these headlines, I just want to remind folks that there's a bit of survivorship bias here. Like, it's not as easy as it looks.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. So like of these 26 that have made it to be publicly traded, there's probably upwards of a thousand that have failed. Yeah. Uh, You know, we're only getting the good picture here, you know, being this grandiose endgame project. But kind of the last thing I wanted to bring up was the one thing that kind of got me was when they said that, you know, maybe the Bitcoin hash rate is becoming too centralized in North America, since we're sitting at, you know, 44.6 or 0.8%. The most recent data that I found uh, says that, because I obviously remember that China had a stranglehold on the hash rate at one point, and they were handling upwards of 75.5% of the hash rate, and that was less than three years ago. That was in August of 2019. So, I mean, obviously, China has all but gone to zero because of the laws and regulations they kind of introduced by... You know, they're loving and caring government that's always looking out for them over there. But until a certain country or continent gets up above, you know, 60, 65, I'm not really worried. And I mean, if we weren't worried, if we weren't worried when China was sitting at 75%, I'm really not worried with, you know, North American miners sitting at 50%.
1: Yeah, to me, I'm not as worried either about the geographic centralization part of this. Now, there is something to consider if if the internet infrastructure were to get messed up in one of these countries um, or a natural disaster were to do that or a government were to say, okay, we're shutting this off. But for me, the concern is around public companies and the ability for the government to go in and mess with with their operations. So yeah. if you have if you have one fifth of the hash rate controlled by public companies, well, what happens when those companies, what if they can't anymore access capital in the public markets, the way that they are depending on it? I mean, if they're not yet ready to bootstrap from their mining operations, um, there could be problems keeping their lights on, but that's a little bit of a devil's advocate message there that I'm, I'm sending. And it's kind of like a worst case scenario. I'm just looking for, reasons why we should be concerned, I guess. But I think it's really like I said earlier, it's the centralization in terms of number of powers that control it. Not necessarily, like that to me is more concerning than what countries are these, if if all of it's in North America or South America or whatever. Um, Because to your point, We have seen that even when there was a tremendous amount of hash rate in a communist country, and then that communist country hammers down and bans it, the network has done fine. And people have done a little bit of geographic arbitrage, finding out where they have to go to set up shop and move shop to, to keep their, their mining going. So that's proven to be just fine. They've been able to, to amend themselves. So I'm not, I, 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 I'm i with you. I'm not as worried about the geographic piece. Yeah, that was a
0: pretty cool, you know, resilient use case to see out of Bitcoin because I know that it was a big deal back then. And, and obviously all just kind of worked out. It was a little, you know, flux for a little bit. I remember the price going down when the hash rate dropped tremendously when China finally, you know, outlawed or all but outlawed crypto. So yeah, no, um, you know, we're learning and, you know, just got to, Stay aware,
1: and it's definitely you know good news. Yeah, I would love to see the official hash rate numbers. I'm with you that we can probably assume it's approaching zero for China, but I would, I haven't, I haven't seen any data on that lately either. So hopefully, we can see some actual numbers because there's probably some people still running nodes. You got to think, uh, it's not the government themselves over there. But to pivot a little bit to our other topic, I know we're cruising through here. We looked at this Twitter thread. Tennessee recently, I don't know if this was just the other day, they became the second state to pass DAO LLC legislation, which is basically a copy-paste of the Wyoming statute with very few minor changes. So the legislation is formalizing the entity creation of a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization, which is essentially... LLC type of corporate governance, but placed on chain and using smart contracts and software platforms to conduct activity. And so the author of this Twitter thread is credible and was really a great read. We've linked to it and I would recommend people check that out. But she kind of points out pros and cons of the approach. From Tennessee versus Wyoming, what's lacking and what's good about it. It's pretty critical. And I want to highlight the main issue with the legislative approach that these two states have taken. It's a lack of definitions. So both Tennessee and Wyoming say that a DAO can be managed by either its members or a smart contract. And Wyoming states that it can be algorithmically managed by the smart contracts, and neither of these states actually expand upon what that means. So if a smart contract were to require vote to execute transactions, is the DAO a member managed or smart contract managed, right? Because if you have to physically click buttons to vote, now, are but that go, those votes feed a smart contract. I mean, which one of these is it? Is it a smart contract managed pl- platform or is it a member managed platform? So these are really important questions, but I actually have responses. I think it's it's set definitely a devil's advocate position she's playing with these poking holes um, because I don't think we need to overthink it too much. But her, her main takeaway is, look, the DAO statutes... They add extra burdens if you wanna run a group. And right now there's not a lot of benefit to just set up a DAO rather than an LLC, a a standard vanilla LLC. And I kind of agree with her. I think that this is still an an, an immature, immature approach, but we need to iterate it. And so just because it can't be better doesn't mean we shouldn't try. And as it stands, it's probably just way easier and still just as effective to to run these groups as a standard llc for the time being. You had a couple of thoughts on this. I know we were talking about some of your your questions about it, but I wanted you to have a chance to react before we go there. Yeah, so I mean
0: it just seems to me like like you kind of said, you know, Wyoming is trying to be you know, the first kind of crypto state hub, or I forgot exactly what you, you know, the Dow hub or whatever it may be. But it seems like they're giving guidance, which I guess, you know, that's basically with Biden's executive order and everything else right now. It's all fact-finding missions. But I don't really know how I feel about passing laws and regulations just to pass them and then build off of them. Like, I do see the benefit of it being in the actual eye of the government and them working towards, you know, solutions and, you know, uh, use cases and everything for problems that might arise down the road and things that can help with current problems that we don't have the technology for. But it just seems like they get the base level 5% of what we're aiming for. And the 95% is either too technical for them to learn or they just don't know enough about it yet which i guess is like just like my intrinsic issue with it like i i understand that it's you know the natural progression of law but i like the thing that bothered me like you said um let me pull up the tweet so she said like the foreign the foreign yeah. investors like in Wyoming they don't like you can't invest in Wyoming unless you're in Wyoming, right? Like I understand you have to get a designated person to handle it for you,
1: but I don't even think, I I don't know. Which you can pay for. So, so that registered agent, it's a very common offering. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, if you do an Estonia e-residency, you just pay a company to handle it as like a custodian over in that country. And so the point of this is to, to really cultivate friendly rules and regulations to allow this to happen. And for allow people to say, Hey, I want to go to Wyoming to start my doubt LLC, because there's no other states in the country in the US that I can do it. Well now there's Tennessee. And so we have to just, we do have to allow the process to play out, because people are going to want to do it by the books and not skirt any regulations or anything. But the issue is as they get drafted in the statutes formally they end up creating questions that are unanswered in the statutes themselves so with these like lack of clarity around what these definitions mean when they when they say okay well it can be algorithmically managed but they don't even go into define what that means mm-hmm. and it's like okay well perfect is the enemy of good enough and so I think there's elements here that are good enough, but then there are elements that are like, hold on, we should have maybe let this bake a little longer in the oven before we released the statute. We should have talked to more people in the industry and done a little bit more, thought about these questions. But the thing about that is you can ask questions all day long and continually try to make this, these, these things perfect. And then you stuck doing that for five years. So we got to just let it iterate. And I, as, as it stands right now, I would probably, if I were to decide if I was going to register an entity, I probably would not register a DAO LLC. I would probably just register a vanilla LLC and then have a wallet that I would tie to that LLC. You know, even if I had 10 people running a DAO, I would just say, okay, we're all going to be owners of this yeah. structure somehow. I think you got to just be a little bit on the simple side, but I could be wrong there. I would probably need to seek legal advice to make sure I'm doing it right.
0: Yeah. But it's I, exciting. I
1: would, it's still exciting.
0: Definitely. And I would probably err on the side with you. And if you were going to pick, if you, you know, it's kind of like, you know, do you want to be first or do you want to be safe? Like you can set up a DAO and just kind of learn as you go and get yelled at and change since everything is kind of not wishy-washy, but not a hundred percent clear right now, or you can set up an LLC and kind of not miss out, but, you know, view from a close sideline, how the everything is moving through the legislation and hop in when you need to. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely interesting and definitely
1: a step in the right direction. Yeah. It'll be exciting to watch and participate in. So Hey, this has been a great discussion. Been a good week. I know we are all eager for the weekend, but we will be back next week for more Daybreak Crypto, and I can't wait to see you then. See you then. Appreciate it.